reading today from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Good morning. You guys are so much nicer than the evening crowd. Evening, I say good evening. It's just like, chirp, 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 chirp. Tough crowd, man. Not so much with you guys. Uh, Happy Lunar New Year for those of you who are uh, wanting to give me a red envelope. Thank you. Thank you. I accept. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We cherish it, we love it, and we pray for your revelation. Uh, Holy Spirit, may you speak to our minds and our hearts as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new here, we just go through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, and so some of you may be wondering if we have our dates wrong and why are we kind of doing Easter now. No, this is just where we're at. So, But we'll do this again in a few weeks. But if you can imagine just how Jesus' disciples felt at this time. See, prior to Jesus' death, they were on this emotional high. They were on top of the world. And then he was arrested, and he was beaten, and then he hung on the cross, and they killed him. And so you can imagine that you're coming from this really emotional high, believing that he's the Messiah, that Jesus would rule, that he would overtake this Roman government that has been oppressing you for so long, And then you move to running and hiding because you're fearful that your lives are at stake. And then you receive news that the tomb is empty and that the body is gone. And then for some, like the women at the tomb, they kind of receive a little glimmer of hope. But for others like Thomas, this is just an unbelievable thing. He can't believe this at all. So we find the disciples just kind of all over the place as far as their emotions went. And it wasn't until verse 34 that... There was some sort of consensus on what happened to Jesus. And if you look at verse 34, it reads, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now, even though they fully believed this to be true, they didn't really get it. They were startled, frightened, troubled, and doubtful, as verses 37 and 38 describe to us. And although this was their initial reaction, Jesus appearing before them was what helped them to believe and what gave them hope. Now let's take a look at verse 36 here. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Now prior to Jesus saying peace to you, they were talking about these things. So what are these things? These things were the things that happened before verse 36. Like the disappearance of Jesus' body, His appearance to Simon, what Jesus taught Cleopas on the road to Emmaus, His resurrection. So as they were talking about all these things... Jesus stood among them. Verse 37, But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. John gives us additional detail in John chapter 20, verse 19. And it reads this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, 
the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Now back to chapter 24, verse 37. Now why were they startled? Because they saw a spirit. Now why did they think that? Because the doors were locked. So how did this Jesus-looking dude get in here? That has to be a spirit, right? These doors are locked. This, it's just us. Verses 38 and 39, And He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. Touch Me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So Jesus was there supernaturally, not restricted by the confines of His earthly body any longer. Jesus resurrected into a heavenly and glorified body. And we'll come back to this startled reaction later. I kind of want to camp out on this and unpack a little bit about this heavenly and glorified body. And to look into that, we have to look at a different text. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let me just read part of that for us, verses 12 through 23. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins." Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. What in the world are first fruits? What is Paul writing about here? This is the offering of first fruits for those who gave to God in the Old Testament. And so in secular terms, first fruits was also used, and this was used for an entrance fee. So Paul wrote this to explain that Jesus was the first fruits of our resurrections, both as an offering and as an entrance fee. So the offering of the first fruits, you can find this in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 14. I won't read that for you guys, but I'm going to summarize it for you. This was the offering of the first fruits, which there was a gift of one sheaf of grain to represent and anticipate the rest of one's harvest. So for one to represent the rest. So what Paul was getting across was that the resurrection of Jesus, the one, represents, anticipates our resurrection, the rest of the harvest resurrection. And so Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. One sheaf, the rest of the harvest. Leviticus 23, verses 9-14 through 14 also instructed that the feast of the firstfruits was to be observed on the day after Sabbath following Passover. What's so significant about this? Well, Jesus rose from the dead precisely on the day of the Feast of the First Fruits. After the Sabbath. The day after the Sabbath 
following the Passover. And in looking into the Feast of the First Fruits a little bit further, you'll also find that in Leviticus 2, that this offering was a bloodless offering. There was no atoning sacrifice needed because the Passover lamb was just sacrificed the day before. So what's so profound about this was that this corresponds perfectly with Jesus' death on the cross, the Passover, and then being the sacrifice that was perfect and complete. And that death ended the need for sacrifices moving forward. So when people ask, why don't you Christians sacrifice anymore? We've already had a perfect and complete sacrifice and atonement through Jesus Christ. Now Paul gave us some really great insight to this Feast of the First Fruits from a scriptural perspective, but he also gave us some great insight from a secular perspective. From the secular point of view, the First Fruits were used as an entrance fee. Meaning, Jesus paid our admission for the resurrection of our bodies. So in Jesus, we have the forerunner of those who follow Him in terms of resurrected bodies. And Jesus rose from the dead in a transformed body that will never die again. See, His body can't die again. Death is powerless against His resurrected body. So if people ask, how is Jesus' body any different from the people that have been raised from the dead in the past in the Bible? How is Jesus' resurrection different from the widow's son in the days of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17, from the widow's son in Nain in Luke chapter 7, from Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8, from Lazarus in John chapter 17, or Eutychus in Acts chapter 20? How is Jesus' resurrected body different from all those who have been raised from the dead in the past? They all die again. They all die again. Not so with Jesus. Those who were raised from the dead weren't raised in heavenly and glorified bodies. They died again. Jesus resurrected into a heavenly and a glorified body and will never die again. And this is what our resurrection bodies will be like. You'll never die again. That's it. Like Jesus' resurrection body. Now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Obviously, we can do an entire study on this chapter, but I'm only going to go through verses 35 through 44, and it's going to be pretty brief. But let me read through this and give you some ideas and some observations here. Starting in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So this seems like a completely logical question, right? But this is how Paul replies in verse 36. You foolish person. I'm going to be careful when I meet Paul what questions I'm going to ask him. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now, anyone who's worked in our community farm, we have one back there, knows about this. Anyone who has a gardening background, anyone who has a farming background, knows about this kind of a concept. Verse 37, And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So, For us to think about this, there's a continuity with a seed or a kernel and what it becomes, whether it's a flower or a fruit or some sort of edible grain. It's there. There's a continuity there. The kernel of wheat produces wheat. It doesn't produce an avocado, even though that would be awesome. But there's also 
the discontinuity between a seed and the respective flower or the respective fruit. For example, things change from seed to fruit. The taste changes. The fragrance changes. The size, the shape, the color. Things change. But there is a continuity in that an avocado, that's a huge seed, is that called a seed? Becomes an avocado, right? Verse 39, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differs from stars in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. Now, if we understand these illustrations that Paul has been using earlier, we will understand the logic carrying through to the resurrection. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So let's take our bodies, for example. Right now, they are perishable. Right? They deteriorate. They sicken. They die. Our resurrected bodies are imperishable. They are not subject to deterioration. They are not subject to sickness or death. Verse 43, It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Our bodies currently are dishonorable, meaning that our bodies are influenced by sin. Our resurrected bodies will be raised in glory, meaning sin will not have influence on them anymore. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now, do I even have to say anything about our bodies being weak? When I was younger, I felt indestructible. I felt awesome. This morning, people have been asking me, Oh, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm, my lower back is sore. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Right? Things started changing in my mid-30s. Right? Joints that I've injured before. When I recovered from that injury, no big deal. And those aches are coming back. And any of you who are 40 and above know what this is like. And if you're younger than this, you may be thinking, oh, not me. That's not going to be me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to last longer. I'm gonna, oh, instead of 40, it's going to be 50 for me. I said the same thing. I'm not even 40 yet. My back hurts, okay? It catches up, right? And if you don't believe me, then why are most pro athletes younger than 40? If you don't believe that your body is weak and it deteriorates. Why do most of them call it quits in their 30s? Unless they're a bowler or a golfer, but we won't go there. (laughs) But the resurrected body will be raised in power, and I like that. I like that, right? We won't have the same limits, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, this doesn't mean that a spiritual body is immaterial. That's not what it means. Okay, it means that our current natural bodies are suited for the natural world, and our resurrected spiritual bodies will be suited for a spiritual world, but it doesn't mean that it's immaterial. Okay, now that's all the time we have to look at 1 Corinthians 15. Read the rest of it on your own. Study it for yourselves and you'll get more insight about the resurrection. But that's just a little bit of a snippet for you to get some background before we move on to this. 
Now think about this. Jesus resurrected with a new, transformed, heavenly, glorified body, and we too who belong to Jesus will have such bodies. So we're going to have wings and a halo and play the harp on streets of gold. Now I don't know about you, but that excites me for like two hours. After that, I'll be like, this is awesome. Like, I can look at these streets and I can fly and wow. But that's only going to last me about two hours. After that, I'm be like, all right, I'm done. Like, this is cool. I'm done. Right? And, and those pictures aren't, of heaven aren't even biblical. Like, where are those from? Can you cite a biblical passage that gives us these ideas that this is what it's like? There's also this idea that heaven will be immaterial or the after this physical life, that things are immaterial, which is not biblical either. Okay, in the beginning, God created all of this material stuff, and what ruined it? Sin. Sin ruined it. And the resurrection is what allows for it to go back to how it was intended to be, but exponentially way better than what we already have, and I think what we already have is pretty good. I think this stuff that we have is pretty good. If you don't agree, I disagree with you. Food is awesome. (laughs) Food is good, right? Tastes, the smells of food are divine. We just had our Chinese New Year celebration, like this big old spread of dinner. I'm sorry, that's good. And I love the touch of my wife. I'm not going to go any further with that. I love cuddling with my kids. I love hearing babies laugh. Not so much the cry, but the laugh, yes. Sunrises and sunsets, they're beautiful. Are all of those senses going to be gone in our resurrected bodies? I really hope not. God created a really awesome thing. And I don't think that's biblical anyway. I mean, read your Bible and you'll find that our resurrected bodies become a new creation like Jesus... And perhaps we'll gain more senses. I hope so. That would be really awesome. But I don't think we're going to lose any of the ones that we currently have. That's good stuff. And you know what our resurrected bodies will get to experience? They'll get to experience life in the fullest sense of the word where moral and physical offenses, all of that reset. All of that starting over. No sin. So that we can experience life to the fullest. God did it before in the Garden of Eden. And what we presently have, even though we've ruined it, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, isn't it? And so you you get away from the city lights and you look up into the night sky and what do you see? A beautiful sky full of stars. Or you go to the beach and you take a look at the ocean and, and you take in all that you're sensing there and all you're feeling and all you're hearing and you just close your eyes. And it's amazing if you just sit back and observe God's creation and you go to Tahoe or you go to Yosemite. Is there any doubt that He can do better than that? Jeremiah wrote in chapter 32, verse 17, Ah, oh, Lord God, It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I think God can blow the Grand Canyon away. And it's going to be awesome. Can you imagine how life will be in our resurrected bodies with God and and newly created again without the devastation of man's rebellion? It's going to be awesome. 
And Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And you ask, why would Jesus' resurrected body give us any hope? Because it's proof of God's willingness and His capability of breathing new life into what once was dead. Right? Jesus' resurrection is historical evidence of God's plan of what He intends to do at the end of earthly world history. Our current world is evidence of God's ability to create a universe. We can see that. We experience that. And if He did it once, He can do it again. And Jesus' resurrection is evidence of God's intention to recreate the universe. And the resurrected body is material. Listen to these verses in Luke 24. Verse 36, Jesus stood among them and said, verse 39, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And Verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? <laughs> Amen. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. See, food is good. That's funny. Seafood, broiled fish. Only one guy got it. His resurrected body was physically there. It wasn't like this, can't touch this guy. Can't touch this. Now let's look back to verse 36 when Jesus said, peace to you. And you'll find the word peace here. And the word peace there and the word salvation, sometimes they're synonymous. For example, take a look at Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 30, when Simeon held baby Jesus. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Another example is in Luke chapter 7, when the woman washed Jesus' feet with her tears. You remember that story? And then in verse 50, Jesus said this to her Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so you see the peace and salvation going together there. And so when Jesus said, peace to you, what did His declaration precede? The revealing of His hands and His feet. And what does that prove? It's proof of His crucifixion. It's proof of His death hanging on the cross, dying on the cross. And it's proof of Jesus' substitutionary death on our behalf. Now in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul wrote this, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. What is this peace that Paul wrote about and that Jesus died for? Because we know that it's not world peace. Because all you got to do is look at the world, and it is rampant with war, and violence, it's not world peace. We know that it's not even peace for Jesus' followers. Because is every Christian at peace? 
are we saying that there's no divorce amongst Christians? It's the same stat as non-Christians. Are we saying that Christians don't have any relationship issues or job issues or health issues? So we know it's not that peace. The peace spoken about here is the peace brokered by Jesus' death on the cross between a holy God and a sinful man. And for those of us who know of this peace, we are commissioned to be peacemakers. right? To share this good news with the world. To bring that peace to the world. Now back to their reaction after Jesus said, Peace to you. Why were they startled and frightened? Well, I think that they came to terms with the idea of the resurrection because, you know, the tomb is empty, the body's gone, and Jesus was seen by people, but they didn't know how Jesus' resurrected body was going to fully manifest itself. So when Jesus stood among them and said, Peace to you, that was freaky. This is a new experience. This totally freaked them out. And I can just imagine them scatter away. Jesus is standing amongst them. And He's saying, Peace to you. Poof! All the men hiding behind the women. And, um, you know, all this. Ah, ah, I want my mommy. Want, no, 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 no. no! I want Jesus' mommy. Mary, where are you? And, and just like going all over. And, and the, the boom. So when Jesus stood there, it freaked them out. Because I think they knew it intellectually, but this was a totally new experience. They've never experienced a resurrected body like that. And here's a lesson for us. We might know the resurrection intellectually and as an idea and even accept it as an idea. And you may even know where to study it in your Bibles. You can probably flip open to 1 Corinthians 15 and read all about it and and you can have it in your head. but, But maybe what you know in your head doesn't align with your life. Because how has the resurrection become real to you? Often, the resurrection becomes real to you through suffering, through pain, through unfortunate things. Like when you get that grim health diagnosis. Or when you receive some sort of really bad news that just kind of slaps you in the face. And it's the difficult times that help us move from this idea of the resurrection from our head and into our being. And it was that way for the disciples. They had to experience this terrible fear of their lives and seeing their Savior die and getting this place of uncertainty and confusion. So where is the meaning of the resurrection in your life? Is it just in your head or has it moved into your being? Do you live your life as though the resurrection is just an idea, a fact? Or is it really in your being? Is it just information Or has it transformed how you live your life and how you think and what you do and what you say? If the resurrection is just stuck in your head, there's so much hope for you. There's so much hope for you. Because all you have to do is look at Luke chapter 24 at these guys. This is where they're at. And yet the church was built upon them. You and I are here because of them. They all knew about the resurrection. 
Right? Cleopas shared with them Jesus' Bible study about Moses and, and through the prophets. And, and they were discipled by Jesus for three years. They knew it in their head about the resurrection. But it wasn't until they experienced it that they were transformed and they changed the world until they were called out about being startled and frightened. And to be, come on, get up. And we have this tension between fear and hope. And you see how honest biblical Christianity is. Right? The disciples weren't too concerned about preserving their dignity. Right, Peter didn't go over them and say, Hey man, can you leave that part out? I, come on. I don't want the world to know that I denied Christ like that. And I don't know. I'm always putting my foot in my mouth. And you know, I, I don't do those things. Just, just put like I'm cool. Like I'm awesome. You know, that I walked on water but I didn't fall. Do those types of things. But that's not the truth. And the truth needs to be told. Because otherwise the resurrection won't ever become real to us. Now, do you struggle between this tension between fear and hope? Of course. We all do. And there is so much hope for us when we're honest and we're dealing with those things. And the resurrection of Jesus is evidence of a hopefulness. Right? Fear is a reality. And when studying the Bible, we find that their reaction of fear wasn't all that different from any of the other angelic appearances right Luke chapter 1 verses 11 through 12 and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him Luke chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear so when Jesus saw them react this way he addressed it in verse 38. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now perhaps Jesus asked them this to remind them of events. And maybe to remind them of what happened in the upper room just a few days prior. John chapter 14 verses 1-4. through 4, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, and where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Back to Luke 24. Jesus wanted to show them that it was really Him. Right? Verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. This is pretty cool here, this verse. They disbelieved for joy and were marveling. They didn't disbelieve because they doubted that it was Jesus. They disbelieved because this is too good to be true. This is so great. I can't believe it. Like someone pinch me. I won the lottery, right? Like this is big. Keep in mind that it wasn't Jesus' corpse that was brought back to life. It wasn't like the widow's sons. It wasn't like those other people, Lazarus. It wasn't like Eutychus. It wasn't those. His resurrection wasn't like those people. Jesus' resurrected body was a heavenly and glorified one that will never die again. And proof that his body was material. Because he asked one of my favorite questions. Have you anything here to eat? 
It's material. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Right before them. He wasn't even like pretending he was spiritual and like, oh, I'll just take this. I don't really... He ate it right there. He ate it. After Jesus ate, he left. He wouldn't come back for another week to reveal himself to Thomas in John chapter 20 who missed Jesus' appearances. Now to read about Thomas, we can find him in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. And I kind of wonder if Thomas required this. Like, you guys lock the door? Like, come on, do it and prove it. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. How many people are like Thomas? Where we say, God, you know, I'm not going to believe unless blah. I won't believe you unless you do this. I won't believe you unless I see this. I won't believe you unless you bless me with this. Or, or we make the, kind of these contingencies. And how gracious Jesus is. right? To reveal Himself even to those who don't believe. And how patient He is to journey with us in our rebellion. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I think that's a lot of us here. That's a lot of us who are here. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now the question for you is, do you believe? Have you confessed your sin to God and that you need Him to cleanse you of that sin? And do you believe that He can do that? You're not here by accident. And I plead with you that you would open your heart and your mind to Him today if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your patience in us. Thank You for resurrecting. And I pray, Lord, for any individual here who does not know You as their Lord and Savior, Lord. May you open their minds, may you soften their hearts for them to receive you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.